Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And we are joined once again this month by a friend of the show, a longtime friend of ours, Nick Delgadillo. Nick, how are you? Hello. I'm, I'm very honored that I'm back again after my horrendous who knows what i was talking about when we were talking about matrix res- resurrections last time <laughs> no it's not the same i had like i had a better i had a better talk about like free guy a movie i did not like than, than matrix which i did like it was but was not a great time with that conversation i thought it was a lot of fun oh yeah well, I'm, I'm good. i don't i don't remember it I blocked it out of my mind. I was, <laughs> I have no clue what I was talking about. What's interesting is, um, and I will be honest with our, with our dear listeners here and you for a second. Um, that is our most partially downloaded episode of the month. Well, yeah. What's uh, stuff? I, <laughs> My general theory is actually that it's because most people did not like that. All of us hated free guy. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> You like a crappy movie, that's your opinion. But I am going to be blatantly honest about how bad it is. I don't like that My movie. job. <laughs> and so my like general theory is that most people were like, I liked Free Guy, I'm turning it off. <laughs> that's your choice, man. Do, do oh. you. Well, you downloaded it anyway. Exactly. <laughs> um... So Nick is is back to continue on with us on our discussion of movies that we missed in in 2021. Um, One of these films made it to his uh, best of 2021 list. It is the it is the best one out of (laughs) uh, out of the best ones. It is the one. All right. Um, I won't let you know what it is. There is a link down below so you can go back and listen to it, but I also think it'll come forward in the conversation itself. But uh, this week is all about, you know, we did like sci-fi big blockbuster stuff. We did biopics. Um, we did like sort of period films you know focusing on on also different directors and different styles and and how they achieved period and so for this last episode of january we decided to do what i'm calling chills thrills and animals um and so it's it's all about horror films uh thriller films folklore folktale stuff um, some of which has to do with animals, some not. But I think that it's I think it's gonna be a really interesting episode, and we're going to be using the films Antlers, Lamb, Old, and Pig. It's also a whole bunch of single single word titles this month. Um, you said that so nicely, and all I was like, it's one word things. Yeah. <laughs> Um, before we get too deep into the discussion, um, I think it's worth a question, and I don't know if it's been asked on the show before. Um, what for, for y'all is the difference between thriller and horror? Uh, and Nick, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop it on you first. Repeat the question. (laughs) 
I keep losing you. What's, <laughs> what's the difference between thriller and horror? What's the difference between thriller and horror? Um, it's a good question because thrillers can obviously like straddle the line there. Um, hmm. I think horror very intentionally like wants to is a little more like visceral, either like visually or maybe a combination. You know, it's a, it's a combination of everything. Like like movies are. You know, it's the it's the music. It's the uh, sound design, it's the acting, it's, um, you know, <laughs> horror movies, I guess, could, uh, no, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's a really hard question that you've given me. How dare you? <laughs> I was going to say, you know, horror can have like more blood and guts. That's not like essentially true either. Cause thrillers can also be really like, um, really violent, really viscerally violent in that way too. Um, I don't know. I think it just comes down to the, the filmmaker's intent, I guess. Is, is this a horror movie or is it a thriller movie? That's a perfectly good answer. <laughs> um, dear, how about you? Um, no, this is a, this is a toughie. Um, I don't know. I guess I feel like with, with horror, the intent is, is to like to push the envelope to to horrify to 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 scare mm-hmm. whereas with a thriller you're you can have like those heightened emotions and like the situation can be exciting but it doesn't necessarily have to be i guess scary to be a thriller like um I feel like some things that get put into like the thriller category aren't really scary at all, but they're more like, I don't know, I guess, I don't, what is, what is that movie? Um, it's a hard question. The, the, the icy dead people's one. Um, uh, six sense. I feel like yeah. six sense is supposed to be like a thriller, but it's not, it's not a horror movie. It's, it's well, supposed to be like, you know, see, but that, that's the line that, uh, M. Night Shyamalan always straddles there. He he personally, if you look at like interviews and stuff, he says that he what he makes are thrillers. He doesn't mm. consider it like a horror, but he obviously, I mean, like any thriller, you know, he takes a lot of influence from horror. And there are definitely moments in all of his movies that are like that's just like that's pretty much just a straight up like horror sequence or moment, you know, mm-hmm. or image. No, yeah, and I think that that's for me probably like where the line is is like where the intentionality is because like um the saw movies are horror movies Mm. you know their their goal is to at the end of the day push the limits of what is scary by putting you as the viewer through all of these different trials through these characters whereas like a thriller doesn't necessarily like do that in a way that like makes you actively like cringe if that makes sense not all of the time no yeah i think that it's kind of it's kind of like the the like a rectangle like a square is a rectangle but a rectangle is not a square like a thriller can be scary but a horror movie isn't always like a thriller i guess for me so it's that next step i guess So for me, I was doing a lot of 
Lamb kind of one of the movies that we're talking about kicked me into this drive of wanting to go back and re-examine a, a text that I read when I was in school, uh, Barbara Creed's The Monstrous Feminine. And the sort of structural framework for The Monstrous Feminine is based on Julia Kristeva's um, The Power of Horror, mm -hmm. which is all about how horror is represented in literature. And I think literature started with horror before it had the thriller, if that makes sense. I think that the thriller is almost on a certain level an offshoot cinematically of horror. Mm -hmm. And for Kristeva, a lot of what, especially under like a, a sort of psychoanalytical framework, a lot of it has to do with this idea of what is abject. And based on my reading this week, and if I'm wrong, email me at thefilmbudspodcasts at gmail.com to let me know how wrong I am. Do it. I'm emailing, but, I'm emailing you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially what happens is the abject is kind of when certain parts of life that have been declared as outside of societal structure, right? So things to do with the corpse, things to do with uh, murder, things to do with the animal nature of things collide with the self and kind of destroy and for a moment blur that boundary and force us to examine what is us, what is other. And it kind of for a little while there obliterates self. This is all very heady and I apologize for listeners, but... And it kind of obliterates that, that boundary and forces us to examine it. And the horror film ends up being kind of a ritual for us to re-identify who we are. And I think that a thriller can get away with not doing that. You can just have an abject, or not even an abject, but you can just have a, a vile killer and a pure good where it's a cat and mouse game or or some sort of, you know, ticking clock kind of thing, but we don't for a second really have that blurring of the boundary of what differentiates us from the other. And I think that that's what probably makes a horror film. That's interesting. Um... I also really thought about it and I was like, you know, I use my mom as like a spectrum for watching movies a lot because there are a lot of things that like Karen does not get all the way through. And I think that like, <laughs> I think the thrillers are like something that's more of like my mother's like kind of like horror movie, you know, it's just a, just a taste of scary, but like there's still some other elements to it. It's not just all horror all of the time i think I mean, it depends and it's it's such a wide-ranging thing also because the horror movie can have like you know like it can be like a saw movie just blood guts and screaming and everything and a horror movie could also be like something completely different doesn't have to have it can be some like minimal violence if any you know stuff like that um 
some stuff's just like weird, like atmospheric, you know. Like, no, yeah. yeah, it gives you those like uh, the hairs on the back of your neck moment, you know, where you're like, I don't like this kind of situation, regardless of how necessarily gory, I guess it is. It's 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 to the yeah. user to to deem how scary it truly is. I think horror movies more like can un- unsettle you mm-hmm. as opposed to a thriller. Um, again, a, a thriller can so obviously probably unsettle you plenty, but <laughs> I feel like there's more, I guess it comes down, like I said, more intent there to unsettle, yeah. to throw you off balance, to, to scare you. <laughs> I mean, like thriller can also be pretty much, for me, it's kind of like a, a throwaway term because, like, roller coasters can be thrilling. So, like, it really just depends on, like, what the adrenaline rush you're looking for is, is, like, the thrill of it. I guess if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Um, you know, because, like, Seven... Seven is a thriller. Mm-hmm. And most of David Fincher's work is a thriller. Um, but then you, you get into some of the movies that we watched, you know, for, for this episode and like old, even though sometimes it is thrilling, it is decidedly a horror film. You think so? See, I was going to go the other way around. Because I think it's it's a thriller. And like I said, you ask M. Night or anybody and they, they'll say it's a thriller, not a horror movie. Um, but it goes down to one scene on old. I know ah. it's a cave. <laughs> um, I was thinking it was definitely like a thriller with like moments of horror. Yeah, well, that's again, like I said, that's M. Night's work, you know, like is like is sign is signs a thriller or is it a horror movie? And like, you know, it's it's yeah. that blend that he loves. Well, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if, 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 his, if he says his intent is that he makes thrillers and that he's making thrillers, then. You know, that's that's what it is. But I again, it's part of what I like so much about his movies is that there are definitely plenty of parts that it just is is like unapologetic, like full tilt, like that's scary. You know, like that's mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and if I'm not mistaken, even Stephen King says that he writes thrillers. Oh, well, that's insane to me. <laughs> um, I think Stephen Killer has written some Stephen Killer Kill King. What did I say? Stephen Killer. You, you did. Yeah. But I think he'd love that, honestly. That's good. <laughs> um, I think Stephen King has written thrillers, but I think most of his stuff is definitely horror. No, I'm just, I'll disagree. I'll disagree with the artist there. <laughs> <laughs> M. Night, if M. Night says he makes thrillers, yeah, okay, I'm with you. If, if Stephen King says he makes thrillers, no. <laughs> That's right. Come on now. Come on. I guess it's uh, it's almost kind of a, a chicken or an egg argument, you know, which came. <laughs> Stephen King in writing is more thrilling than like any version of Stephen King on, on film. Screen. Yeah, on screen, I think that they like to push the like ah, it's this is this is the point of it. It's it's supposed to be scary, whereas like we read Carrie, and like most of that is just like a teenage girl trying to figure herself out. Instead, like the the movie version is always like the blood and the pigs and things, you know. Uh, look at this girl; <laughs> she murdered those bitches, you know. <laughs> well, uh, I think that that's a honestly a pretty good 
debate. You know, I don't think that we necessarily came up with an answer, but I also think that it is up for kind of the individual viewer to come up with an answer. Well, on a yeah, certain level. because like at the end of the day, we each have our own spectrum for what is scary. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't go off of your scary and, and like, you know, I can't, y- you can't go off of mine. It really just depends on the person watching it to to tell, I guess, whether or not it is, it has officially stepped over the boundary mm-hmm. of, instead of it being a thriller, it is actually horror. No, Absolutely. Well, um, we we cover a whole spectrum of films, and we can, I guess, as part of our discussion, talk about what we feel each of them are. Um, but we're going to start off with the film Antlers, and we have a clip, so let's take a listen. What is storytelling? Storytelling started with our indigenous people. Can anyone give me an example of a myth or a story they're afraid of? So that was Antlers. And the premise is in an isolated Oregon town, a middle school teacher and her sheriff brother become embroiled with her enigmatic student whose dark secrets lead to terrifying encounters with an ancestral creature. Uh, It's directed by Scott Cooper. It's written by Henry Chasen and Nick Antosca. And Nick Antosca actually wrote the short story that this is based on. It's an adaptation called The Quiet Boy with a final draft by the director, Scott Cooper. And it stars Carrie Russell, uh, Carrie Russell, Jesse Plemons, uh, Jeremy T. Thomas, Graham Greene, uh, Scott Hayes, and Rory Cochran. And uh, Nick, I'm going to start with you. Nick, what did you think of Antlers? Oh, what a letdown Antlers was. <laughs> <laughs> what a... Uh... So what I here's what I like about Antlers. Um, I like the cast a lot. I like the concept here. Um, to get a little bit into it, Antlers takes place at really kind of interchangeable, uh, you you know, American town that's in the modern day. You know, we're looking at a uh, some supply chain issues, <laughs> or uh, you know, it's it's rundown. It's a place that was obviously you know was was booming like a generation ago and you know by next generation it's a place that seems like it might not even be there anymore um just in decay it's in the grip of the opioid crisis among other things you know um it it has see antlers has all this like backdrop around what's essentially just like a just just a monster story just a monster movie um where this kid's dad and older brother are turned into a monster. Um, and he's keeping him locked up in his house. Um, what I what I don't like is that by the end of it, it, it it's instead of it, it either has to just be a monster movie or it has to go for like whatever metaphor it's going for. And the problem I think with this movie is that it wants the monster to be like every metaphor. Like, is the monster 
like you know at first it's like it seems like the monster is kind of like nature's like reckoning right you know this is for polluting the polluting the earth you know (laughs) destroying the earth and everything and we see that like the decay of the town and everything i'm sure you know uh, what once was beautiful has now been destroyed blah 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 so it's getting his revenge but it's also like a stand-in for like uh, abuse like domestic abuse um which i think is like the most muddled part of the whole thing and that doesn't work i like i i, I again there's so many ideas that i like here um i like that carrie russell's character is a character that's gone through abuse and she's obviously the most compelling part of this um and i like the way they present that abuse not in like a stupid schlocky depiction of it um pretty subtle is not the word (laughs) but um i don't know i like that we just see it like in in bursts like really short bursts like of clips of of her past ever actually like seeing the whole thing yeah there's not like a dragged out thing of it that's like wow this is you know and nor is there like a a stupid you know like monologue she's like here's everything that i've been through you know when i was blah 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 when I was blah 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 blah. Um, the the issue is that that like the monster is also supposed to be like abuse, and it's like this this kid's dad is the abuser, but we don't see that. We see the opposite of that in this movie, which is where it gets really confusing for me because we're you know we're told like oh the dad's like he's a he's a meth addict. Um, he's making meth when he's attacked at the very opening of the movie by the by a monster um but like he's shown to be a caring parent the entire time and like (laughs) so i'm confused as to how that works you know what i mean as to like they want him turning to a monster to also be like oh and that's the this kid's being abused blah 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 but we're shown that he cares for both of his kids so i'm not sure that that works um i don't like and if we're going back to like the nature thing, you know, this is a, a Native American legend uh, creature. Um, we have our one Native American actor here who does nothing except say like, oh, it's, it's a Wendigo and it's bad. And that's it. That's all he's there for, um, which is terrible. Um, the ending battle against the monster is goofy. I hate that it just comes down to, I'm sorry, should we just get into spoilers here? I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. No, fuck it. I, I, I don't know. It just comes down to like, like a physical, like a fight against it. Um, Carrie Russell is a little too immediately accepting of a giant demon monster beast. <laughs> just like, okay, I guess I'm going to fight this thing with a big pole now or whatever she has. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, it's it's really fr- there's a lot of good ideas here. There's great acting. Um visually wise, I mean this movie's like stunning. Uh it, every shot looks so every part of this movie looks so good. The monster looks great. Um there's there's so there's so much good and I feel like it just ends at an on a note that's like what is what was this about then? What actually are you trying to say? You know what I mean? Um, and <laughs> okay, what did you think of antlers? 
Dear? Um, I liked it. It wasn't great, but I enjoyed the ride. Um, I, I totally hear all of your points and they are super valid. <laughs> um, I don't know, I guess I maybe like got a different read on the fact that they were like, pushing like the society's view of of his addiction was like oh because he does meth therefore he is x y and z of a person and like right. you know we should just accept the fact that this child is in school at all because it could be worse and i i feel like that is very much our public school system as it is right now it's like at least they're here and not doing drugs or something you know, hey, have that kid. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it is interesting the fact that they like present him as a like a loving parent. The exact opposite of these things is like circumstances like made him into this stereotype, even though he was like fighting against that until he gets attacked in right. the mines. Right. Um which is interesting because then that but then it's like for me the the part that i didn't like was the was his whole like transformation point you know was it a werewolf story where it's like oh you know it's or is he a zombie kind of thing because it's like you know he's constantly getting fed death basically like living flesh he's uh, he's the wendigo they they explain it that he's always he's always hungry but he the more he eats the hungrier he gets no, and I, I get that. I feel like they just, like, get that to that point too late, I feel like. Because, it, it, for me, it felt oh. like a, like a oh, maybe maybe he's going to, like, you know, I don't know, at the full moon, he's going to turn into the beast, and that's the thing. Or, like, is he a zombie, and is, like, like is he dead, you know? And is, this kid is just, like, trying to keep his family together. And I right. felt like, the for me, the weakest part also of that was, like, the the, uh, the brother, also being a part of it because yeah. it didn't seem to be affecting that little boy the same way that it was affecting that man and like it just until it instantly really... does yeah it was, <laughs> it was so so strange yeah yeah that's um, what that's what i'm saying where like everything just ends up getting so muddled in itself and like you're like i that's where i get confused also i'm like and what is the kid being trapped in there with them what does any of it mean <laughs> yeah and like I do agree. I think that the, I think that this movie looks so good. I thought that the creature was fantastic looking. Like when we finally get the look of him, when that first look, when he's still like wearing the face, I was oh, like, oh, you it's know, it was, it was gross. I was like, this is what I wanted. But like, I, I wanted more from it as well you know i thought that like they put so much effort into that last like final scare of like what the creature looked like that i i i did want that fight to be a little bit more challenging like this thing has leapt out of trees and murdered children and stabbed walls. no literally and it was like yeah just like stab him with a stick and then like stab yeah, him with, just the him. with a knife <laughs> i was like And also, what does it mean that, like, the the solution, if, again, like, because they want this thing to, want the monster to, like, stand in for everything, like, what are we saying at the end here? To defeat 
climate change or abuse or drug addiction or whatever this is. We have to physically fight it to physically, like physically just beat the hell out of it. No. Yeah. And I guess from the description, I (laughs) going into this movie, I really thought that like the kid, the survivor was going to like do something at all. Other than just be like the sad skinny kid who's like getting a, getting abused but not really but kind of maybe and it just yeah yeah. well he has like like he has his own agency up until like the end when the monster is loose so then he doesn't doesn't do anything (laughs) after that what do you what did you think about it there um i think everything is totally fair so i've i've been taking notes a little bit more on on every movie that we watch and so like we open with this idea of myth of folklore of storytelling and they tie that initially into indigenous Native American, you know, sort of storytelling. Um, and then, yeah, they ultimately introduce abuse. They introduce alcoholism. They introduce uh, deforestation and the destruction of nature. Um, which, by the way, um, there's there's another name for like the the like couch term that they use like mountaintop mining and i I'm, I'm totally blanking on the term for it but essentially like i grew up for a brief time in a mining community morgantown west virginia and if i'm not mistaken mountaintop mining essentially is this idea of um you go through and you use dynamite to blow off like layer by layer of of a mountain um and yeah they introduced this idea of what is trauma what is a monster and yeah they they have a lot of ideas spinning in the air um and ultimately yeah they they don't land them all the performances are great across the entire board the performances are great the cinematography is great and they have all of the right intentions and ideas, but because it never settles on one, like both of y'all said, it ends up kind of falling flat. And like, um, you know, I love the whole cast, but even this is kind of a, a mid-Jesse Plemons performance, if only because he has nothing to do. He's not given enough to do, and then he's just taken out of it by the end. His best moment for me was when he looks at his sister and goes, you don't, you have no idea what he did to me. Yeah. Say like, I, I love the dynamic between the brother and sister here and you can, it's, it's all on the actors, obviously, because like I said, I like that it's not in the script where they lay it out and spell it out for everybody. You just kind of have to go off what little knowledge you're given of their upbringing with the way their their care like the characters carry themselves, you know, with yeah. obviously yeah. this burden of what you can only like like he says, like you can only you have no idea what they've been through. We can only imagine. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and we never get I think that for me, what the monster was supposed to be ultimately was about addiction. But because we never really saw the dad as like this of the boy as this sort of guttered out addict and because we also never had carrie russell like hit the bottle again 
And because we never actually know what that pill that Jesse Plemons keeps popping is. And especially with, big spoiler alert, the fact that Jesse Plemons ends up being the next Wendigo at the end of the movie, it feels like it wants it out of all of the things it presents as an option to be about addiction. Okay. Like, I think that that would have landed more if, like, Carrie Russell had adopted this kid but also started hitting the bottle again. And then when the Wendigo left the, the, the dad that she just killed, the spirit went into her. Mm. You know, or if we knew that Jesse Plemons was, like, you know, popping uh, Oxycontin, you know, or something like that. And then after the dad was killed, the spirit moved into him. I think that that could have helped land it on this idea of it's about substance abuse. It's about yeah. substance reliance. Uh, then you've got to like cut all the rest though. You've got yeah. to cut like the, the, the nature, devast- you know, the destruction of nature stuff. Like that's it just, again, it's like I said, like it's, they want it to be everything and it ends up being nothing. And <laughs> like, yeah, so the, you're like, well, then I wish it had just been a straightforward monster movie. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. And I think that that's my issue with, the monsterism itself like what are the rules of it you know you're like oh you got to cut out its beating heart but literally like zombies if it fucking scratches you or whatever and you survive now you are also it so like what are what are the rules how long does it take for you to for you to schmeal out until you turn into said monster like and graham green even goes and like tries to present the rules and he was like it's a from my understanding of the way that Graham Greene's character, Warren Stokes, presented the rules was like, it infests one person who embodies this idea, and that's it. And so then it's immediately complicated by the fact that it's almost like it's infecting two people at the same time. Or maybe that's why the kid doesn't really have like any symptoms until after pop pop is dead but he does have symptoms because, i mean like, he he's, does he's... but he but he doesn't yeah you know he doesn't have symptoms like losing... dad does yeah no yeah. yeah like the father was like losing hair like you know <laughs> we're looking real rough like like i said and then all of a sudden the kid's just gonna full-blown turn into it like immediately at the end like, no, yeah and it took so long saying, like, for the dad to transform like he had to murder several people <laughs> yeah. the, the rules aren't like, clear also like the implications obviously like by the end of it are like so they're just not gonna there's nobody we can call to be like hey we just experienced like a crazy monster thing that is responsible for the deaths of several people here's the proof you know here's <laughs> wouldn't that kind of be like dead body like, in the mind that be a bit of like a, a you know reality altering thing they kind of take it in stride at the end there they're like well that was weird and now we got this kid to take care of (laughs) that was that was a time huh sheriff (laughs) indeed so nick if you had to give uh antlers a score what would you give it i give antlers two out of five man Woo. I just, none of it, it, like, I I give it a two because it's the performances. I love the way it looks. I love the way it's shot. 
but as far as the story goes, like it just is, it ends up being so empty to me. Very frustrating. Um, I'm going to go solid three. It is middle of the road. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to split the difference and go two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I've had such a hard, like, I, I keep going back and forth. This I wanted to do this last year, and now I'm trying to do it this year, and I'm still having a hard time where I'm like, I want to commit to just giving, like, full stars. I want to stop. Sometimes I feel like it's, it's cheating, like the half star thing. And I'm like, I just want to commit, like, one, two, three, four, five. Um, but, but then I'm like, well, but, like, the half star kind of, you know... <laughs> can sneak in there yeah you know there's a little shimmy room where i like it a little more i I don't know i'm trying to commit to the full stars right now but like my mind changes every other day (laughs) for sure well um i guess we should move on now to lamb and we have a clip but jokes on you it's not in english so enjoy So that was Lamb. Uh, it is directed by Vladimir Johansson. And the premise is a childless couple, Maria and Ingvar, discover a mysterious newborn on their farm in Iceland. The unexpected prospect of a family life brings them much joy before ultimately destroying them. Uh, and it is written what? by Sion and Vladimir Johansson. And it is starring uh, Numi Rapace. Hilmir Gudnason and Bjorn Hjolner Haraldson. Props to you. I have no idea if you said that correctly or not. But I Only would not... people in Iceland will know, and as far as I know, we don't have any listeners there, so joke's on them. I would have had to, <laughs> had to rehearse. <laughs> or tackle I, I love that like looking at the character list that they were like, well, you gotta have more people in this movie. So like bus driver, man on television. <laughs> I was like, Technical yeah, guys. They gotta get their credit. They were- you. <laughs> uh, so we started with Nick Deer. What did you think? Uh, actually, let me start here. Uh, so a little bit of background, a little more on Lamb than, than any of the others. Uh, the director specifically says that this is a folktale. And for those who don't know, a folktale is a little bit more of a moral tale. It oftentimes involves more animals as, like, the leads, or, like, anthropomorphic characters as the leads, imbued into a situation that applies to reality, right? A fairy tale has human people with magical things happening around them. You can usually trace them back to a single author, but a folktale is an oral tradition that is passed down generation to generation, and it is ultimately meant to convey 
a story, meant to convey an idea, a moral, very specific, and a folk tale is kind of the the micro to the macro of folklore. And folklore are all of the, the sort of oral traditions that are passed down from a generation to a generation um, that help create a cultural identity. So these are folk tales, uh, jokes, idioms, um, all of these kinds of things that sort of create this broad umbrella of a folklore. And so this is supposed to be a neo-folk tale that is also very loosely based on uh, a dream that the director had as a child, and also a book of poems. I don't know what book of poems. I really tried to find specifically what book of Icelandic poems it was, and I could not. Um, but... These were sort of all of the things that, that coalesce together to make Lamb. And so this isn't necessarily a direct horror film, but it is a folk tale. And so, dear, what did you think of Lamb? I don't know what to think about this movie, man. <laughs> this movie was like, what if we just were like really, really slow for a really long time and you watched these people do farm stuff for a good little bit? And then they had the brother in, and he was like, let me maybe hit on your wife a little bit, question mark. I, I don't know how to feel about him either. And then we finally get to see the lamb baby. And whoa, questions on, on that as well. And then this movie like hits like from zero to 60 miles per hour in the last like two minutes. Yeah. And, and then it just stops. And it just stops and you're like, but what the hell just happened? And, <laughs> and like, I, I, I think I, I enjoyed the movie, but I feel like it, it had a lot of time just like hanging out with our main characters. And, you know, you, you get this like sense that something is going to happen. It's like, you know, somebody is watching them kind of feeling going on and like it literally refuses to tell you who it is until the the last second of the movie and then and then it's done and then we're we're left with this this i guess like question as an as an audience member of like how am i how am i supposed to feel about about the ram ma'am how am i i don't know it was I wish I had had more of him. Maybe. Um, I never want to see him again. <laughs> and I also, I guess, don't really know what the like the lesson of the folk tale is. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, don't don't make a family with things that that aren't real. Live in reality, I guess. Let stop. Don't steal another person's baby or I think it's baby. <laughs> I got I got a lot of yeah, questions. Yeah. It really feels like like, you know, cuz they they straight up take this this lamb baby, lamb human baby and start to raise it and it's I guess for me it feels like a weird like don't ad abduct somebody else's child and pretend like you can raise it yourself because shit is always going to hit the fan. I don't know how to feel about this movie. <laughs>
Somebody else go, man. Somebody else. (laughs) Nick, after after Lauren's confusion, what did you think? Um, I I liked. uh, So when I first watched this movie, I I was into it, and then yes, so then like, if if you ever check like you know like how much time is left, you know, I suddenly realized I was like, there's like 12 minutes left of this movie, and you know. Uh, technically, you know, nothing has happened, you know, quote, unquote. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you get to the last thing, two minutes of the movie and then everything happens and then it ends. Um, and, I, you know, and I was initially I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is and this was uh, initially I was like disappointed in that. And I was like, I feel like we went through all this for a really like lackluster ending by the end. Uh, after sitting on it for two days, uh, I like it more. <laughs> I, um, I understand, I think I understand more of what it's going for. And I do think it's kind of another one that straddles the line of is the, it's like a metaphorical thing, but also for the sake of the story, it has to be a literal thing. So I think, you know, this movie, this is a a woman who, Numi Rapace's character, who's, you know, wants a child, is grieving over a child, you know. And whether, you know, you could interpret it when when the lamb is born, and it's it's a lamb-human hybrid thing, within the movie, you know, it's, it's, it's literal, right? But I, I think it could also maybe, you could interpret it if you want as like a, uh, maybe just the way her brain was at, where her brain was at, where she was at. She just decided, you know what, like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take this lamb. Like, I, the, you know, I want a child that badly. I'm going to take this newborn lamb. I'm going to like raise it like, you know, like, like my daughter, you know. I'm going to say this is my daughter kind of thing. Um, and I think that also goes with when Uncle Peter shows up, you know, and he's like in one of the rare moments where the movie is very funny, like just the deadpan, like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, him, him feeding it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he, he's like the one who sees through, you know, he's like, this is an animal, you know, this isn't a, you can't raise this as like a person, this is an animal. He obviously warms up to it later, and I think it's just kind of the what goes hand in hand, right? You all can give into the delusion of it. Um, so you could view it as that if you'd like. The ending will kind of shatter that in a way. But yeah, I, I, I think the whole purpose of this movie is to kind of be like how humans take, especially from the natural world, um, you know, take, 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 um, and and take some more, and you know. It's to me, it becomes obvious when you go back and think about the murder of uh, the sheep mother. I like the whole first half of the movie. The sheep mother wants wants their baby back, and then it ends with uh, Numeri Pace killing her. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I think it just comes down like, don't uh, that baby didn't belong to you. The baby was not hers to take. And she pays the price for it. I mean, I think it ends with her having to accept it. Like that last shot of hers, like her acceptance of 
what she has gone through, which is what she wasn't capable of doing at the start of the movie. Um, Cause she's just like, she's not really living. She's just kind of surviving at the start. Um, yeah. I think so. It's like, you know, she, she has to go through loss once again. And this time is maybe able to accept it. If only because, you know, she brought on herself and she knows that <laughs> she knows that, you know, there's a price to be paid there and that whatever happened with her and this sheep daughter, lamb daughter was never going to be like a permanent thing. <laughs> it's no, I, I think that that's all really fair. Um, I think this movie is of the, of the four movies that we watched. There are two of them that I have thought a lot about since finishing. Um, and this is one of them. I think that Lamb is a really, really interesting story. And when I first finished watching it, I felt actively lost. Yeah. I felt like there was something that I needed to dig into, needed to understand. You needed further clarification. Like it's. Yeah. You feel like it's not something that's like easily like understood like 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 individually and i thought that i had an idea around it but i guess also i assumed that like my thinking on it was too simple and i was absolutely uh on board with the scenery i was absolutely on board with the character work every actor in this is fantastic but i felt like maybe i was like maybe there's something that i'm missing and so I, I dug deep into trying to figure out if I could determine what, you know, everyone was like, it's based on Icelandic folklore. And I was like, great, which part of it? <laughs> and so like, I really tried to figure out what he was reaching for. And I think that you hit it on the head. I think that it's twofold. I think it is one, about stealing things that aren't yours from the natural world. Mm. Because my gleaning of Icelandic folklore is largely that a lot of it is about the harsh brutality of the landscape, about Icelandic people's relationship to the land and, and the inverse. But I think the other part that it is about is tipped in that first conversation because there is no spoken dialogue for minutes. Yeah. And then finally, Maria and uh, Ingvar speak and it's about, they say that time travel is possible. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you could, you could go into the future. And she's like, well, you know, we could go into the past and maybe I would go into the past. And so I think that it's kind of... they do. I forgot about the time travel conversation. Yeah. 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 And so I think that it's kind of a two-pronged thing for them. It's one about their relationship to nature and, and what you should and should not take from it. But it is also about accepting the present such as it is. You know, on a certain level, Peter and Ingvar's relationship to Peter is based in the past and in who they used to be. And they show that again with like the music video scene 
Well, I think that his all... entire relationship, his the the uncle, is a past figure because whatever he and Maria had was a past thing that he keeps trying desperately to bring back up into the present. No, and that's yeah. super fair as well. So yeah, yeah, this that that's really interesting. Again, I forgot the whole time travel conversation at the start. That really kind of brings it all together here, like you said. So what they. And that goes with what I was saying with her needing to accept what happened. It's her denial of nature taking her, taking her kid away, right? The, of nature plotting its course and hitting this couple with a loss and her desire to go back to it. And it's, it's driven by her because also at the start, um, Ingvar says that he's happy. You know, like he's all right with it. He doesn't it, want the future or the past. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, I'm good with where we're at. She is not. She wants to go back to the past when they were happy and when they had a child, right? And the the steps that she she does the wrong thing to get to that place, and and it's a it's a crime that gets progressively worse that 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 she worsens as it goes on. It's a bit of an abduction story. Yeah. Yeah, um, and they play kind of in the way that Midsummer does it. You know, it play it, they set it in a place where there's not much, uh, where it's daylight all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that that juxtaposition of like this is like an unnerving, kind of unsettling thing, but it's in a beautiful, sunny location, right? Um, that's consist that consistently looks like that. Um, yeah, and like you're saying with with Peter also. Um, there's the kind of from both, both her and uh, Ingvar are like you know he's he's okay to live here everything will be swell and then at the end is the acceptance of obviously like this isn't we can't pretend like this is the past and we're all hunky dory here and that's when like you know she kicks him out at the mm-hmm. end she's like you have to go. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. Yeah. There are several times when, like, reality, like, smacks her in the face. And I think that that also comes with the ending of, like, Ingvar getting shot. You know, it's it's this reality of, like, what goes around comes around kind of scenario. Because, like, what she does to, to the sheep mom ends up mm-hmm. being done to the father figure that the... the <laughs> that the dude is supposed to be for this for this child you know yeah yeah and you know, uh, while she's while she's away cleaning up her mess of getting rid of like the, the the uncle getting rid of peter you know peter the pedophile um i don't know he's he's, he's, he's not, not a pedophile, pedophile. <laughs> he's not a pedophile he's, he's not a good he's not a good guy but he's he's not a pedophile <laughs> no he's not no, he, he, <laughs> um no, yeah, it's it's this weird like. Because it started with it, P. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it literally was because it started with P. But that's, <laughs> that, that, that was me, not the movie. The um, the the severity of his crimes went up way too high. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he was, I mean, he was pretty much a creep though. It was just fine. He he like attempts to to murder this this lamb baby. You know, he's he's not leaning on the like the likable. He thinks about it. Yeah, he thinks about it enough to like grab the fucking gun and point it at her. Like well, he, that's had, full, he had every intention. Yes. <laughs> he was two um, seconds away from pulling the trigger and ending this whole charade, um, and was <laughs> like, "No, maybe we'll go back home and nap together in a chair. I've changed my mind." 
Yes. Um, yeah, but yeah. It, it it comes down to that's what she she pays the price, and it's more than just her that pays the price. Her actions, uh, her husband, everybody. The, the, the guy who was happy again, like that we established was happy and had. He's not the one that pushes to go back into the past to to take the lamb baby, blah blah blah, right? He just kind of gets roped into it along, and obviously he is happy to go along with it eventually. But you know, his there's still the price to be paid there. Um, and really what it comes down to is that it ends up, uh, being the most damaging to, to Ada or, or Ada, 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 I don't know or they say her name. Um, because when, when Ram man takes, takes her away, she obviously does not want to, she, uh, you know, might be happier because she's established her life with Ingvar and, and Maria. And now she's being taken away. Um, but that's again, that's that's the price that that everyone has to pay for the actions of of Maria at the start of the movie and throughout the film. Um, it's like in, in in wanting to care for this child and wanting to be the best, you know, parent for this child, blah blah blah. You ended up damaging them like a rep, you know, like more than if you had just let them, you know, left them where they were. Well, I'm glad you brought up her name so and this will be my my kind of personal final note um i as part of my research right because i i was just so certain that i had just lost something i also decided that i would go and look up some of the names and what's really interesting is that ada or ada can mean one of two things noble or happy and if you think of it as noble, that I kind of makes sense. She is of a very particular lineage. Um, but also, if you place her in this idea of happy, she was happy with her family. Even if there were going to be issues potentially later on, in the moment, as far as we could tell, she was content. She was happy. Maria can mean either of the sea or bitter. And I think that if you look at Maria's this context of bitter and Ada or Ada as this context of happy, I think that it kind of completes some of this metaphor, you know. Uh she gives she she takes happiness. She gave birth to happiness. We discover that her original daughter, the one that that died was named Ada and she was happy through that and then she takes happiness because she is bitter I think it's weird that they name it the same as the child that they had like if, if like I had a child and I lost it and then I got another child I wouldn't be like all right let second time around let's try this one more time you know <laughs> and that's the time travel let's you know it's it's the denial of what happened it's the denial of the way nature ran its course in their lives and so it's yeah. the 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 unnatural way that they go about trying to replicate the life that they had trying to go back to the life that they had when you cannot <laughs> yeah so, dear, if you had to give Lamb a rating uh, out of out of ten or out of five, what would you give it? Out of ten, you had a stroke for a second I did. there. Um, 
eight out of ten. That's crazy. That's insane to me. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm gonna give this movie a, a three and a half. Okay. Because <laughs> I did enjoy it, but I definitely feel like it left me with this this feeling of like uncertainty more so than like I think that I was expecting or or really wanted. Like I I want to know more, but like the the movie itself you know i'm not like you who goes well i'm gonna go to research i go well this is the thing you presented me and so therefore this is it this is 100 percent the story you wanted to tell me and so with that being said you know i still wanted more explanation for it mm-hmm. nick how about you uh i initially gave this a three uh i'd give it a four now uh, now, now I understand better what it was going for, and I think it nails the presentation of it. Um, I do think it could have been shorter. Yeah, it almost feels yeah, it could have been like a short film, almost. You know, mm-hmm. so even and can still encompass. Um, at the same time, I don't know. No, no, I, I don't, I don't really have any. No, I, I give it a four. I'll leave it at that. No further elaboration. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna give it a four as well. I think that it does this interesting job of of presenting an, a modern folk tale that is also steeped in its very own tradition but is is applicable in a broad sense because it is placed in a cinematic language in a cinematic framework that is a very shared cultural art form um well and it for me this has also drove me into a whole deep dive on the abject on the monstrous feminine because on a certain level she is somewhat the villain of our narrative well, yeah, she literally steals somebody's baby. And pretends, kills the mom. Yeah, raises it as her own and then gets literal karma in the end. <laughs> I, don't, and, I don't know where my heroine was in that scenario. <laughs> and it, pre- it, it presents us with things that horror films usually use for the abject. Um, you know, the birth scene. Um, you know, this kind of evil mother... Uh, the the blurring of the line between the human of, and the animal, and it it ultimately destroys her on a certain level, so that she can redefine self. And I think that it's a really interesting movie. I do agree that it's a little long. Uh, it's it's got about twenty minutes in there that could have been about ten. What you mean the, the part <laughs> about them watching handball? <laughs> Yeah, you know, just a little. Honestly, I think that I think that I would have liked it better if it was a short film. I think that because it would have been like forty-five minute to an hour. Because it would have been like short and sweet and to the point instead of these like moments like like my least favorite, well, my favorite least favorite parts of Dune, where you're like, all right, now look at this landscape for for a little bit. Let's just all kind of mentally zone out and look at this shit over here. You're meant to be on spice when you watch Dune. That's why. That's right. You're like, but the plot was over, was over was over there. Supposed to be and... on your spice of choice. <laughs> no, the tar, love. Uh, a little, a little bug.
bump. Write us a note. No, ultimately, I think I think that both of you have, have made some pretty fair points. It definitely could have been a little bit shorter. But ultimately, I think it's it's interesting. I'm not sure it's one that I'll watch regularly, but it's fascinating. I, I, I think, like I said, it, it's once you're able to decipher, I guess, however you want to decipher what it is trying to do, what it's trying to say, to me, it successfully executes those, like every part of the movie is part is streamlined to those ideas that it's presenting. There's no, there's no distraction. It's not like antlers where there's too many ideas and none of them, you know, end up sticking or not enough of them end up sticking here. I think it has its ideas and sticks to it and does. So. I think that I would, I think that I would like it more. And I don't want to rewatch knowing like where it goes. That's and then, fair. like, getting to rewatch the journey to that end point. Yeah, that's part of where you're like, yeah, where, like, like I, where every piece you can, like, upon rewatch, you can re examine it, like, kind of in a new mm-hmm. light. Oh, net, well, that part, now I see what the point of that was or where the, knowing where it's headed. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Definitely one that I think would be better on a rewatch. Well, I think yeah, I just got to uh, cut those 20 minutes. <laughs> handball man I think you, you watch lamb on on 1.5 speed or whatever that people do there you that's, go that's psychotic before we make our viewers too old why don't we go ahead and jump into our next movie old <laughs> Woo! and as always we have a clip so take a listen no kids out on the beach? What? I'm not true! Oh, oh, no! We never leave each other. Nothing separates us. Are we there yet? You said five minutes. Technically, it's been more than five minutes. Let's just all start slowing down. Wow. Do you believe I found this online? So that was old. Uh, The premise is a vacationing family discovers that the secluded beach where they're relaxing for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly, reducing their entire lives into a single day. Um, It is directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It is written by M. Night Shyamalan, and it is based on the uh, graphic novel Sandcastle by Pierre-Oscar Levy and Frederick Peters. And it stars Gael Garcia Bernal, Vicky Creeps, Cripps, Russell Sewell, Alex Wolfe, Thomason McKenzie, who was in last week's episode uh, on Last Night in Soho, uh, Abby Lee, Nikki Amuka Bird, Ken Lung, uh, Eliza Scanlon, and Aaron Pierre. Yeah, mid-sized Dan. And uh, I-, I guess I'll go ahead and-, and kick this bad boy off. So it is based on a graphic novel called Sandcastle, which is written by a French director-writer and illustrated, I think, by a Swedish illustrator and graphic novel writer. And um, 
there are some some sort of key differences just as a bit of background from the graphic novel to the movie um the first thing is there are still two families um but in the graphic novel they are Marianne, Robert, Zoe, Felix, and their dog, Elvis. And then Charles, Natalie, Sophie, Lewis, and Grandma. Grandma does not get a name in the graphic novel. Um, one of the big differences here is that uh, the nurse and her... And, and his husband... Or, uh, excuse me. The nurse and his wife are... Florence and Oliver, and they are accompanied by her father, who is the science fiction writer, who we'll talk about later, Henry Laskaride, and instead of mid-sized sedan, we have a man named Amasan, who apparently only gets his name in a few panels, and for most of the time is referred to by the guests of the beach as the Arab. Um, oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> I am so glad that they re replaced that with, like, the black guy doing black guy stuff in this one. Good, good. And He's so definitely going to hurt everybody. The black guy is, trope. <laughs> it is written by M. Knight, and he apparently was gifted this graphic novel by his daughter. And they worked on developing the story of it and changing some of the elements of it together one of the other big notes, and I won't say right now what the ending of the movie is, but one of the big changes is that the graphic novel provides no ending. Everyone just gets to the beach and dies on the beach. And that's fucking it. Um, and, like, the, you know, in the trailer, you've probably seen it, there's, like, the, one of the the daughter of one of the families gets pregnant in the movie, spoiler alert, the baby dies. In the graphic novel, the baby lives and, like, wakes up to essentially find all of her family dead on the beach. And that's how the graphic novel ends. So, old. For me, I like... I like a lot of M. Night Shyamalan, not all of M. Night Shyamalan. Um, I'm in the in the controversial camp of liking Lady in the Water. Um, I enjoy Signs. I enjoy The Sixth Sense. I enjoy the entire Pittsburgh trilogy um, of Unbreakable, Split, and Glass. Um, I think he's a, comp a compelling filmmaker. I think that he has... Very distinctly, every time he sets out to tell a story, something that he wants to tell. I think Old runs headlong into what I'm going to call Ready Player One Syndrome, which is there were problems in the source material that he tried to fix, and I don't... It maybe fixed some problems, but I think it created other problems. And when I first finished the movie, I liked it all right. And then the more I thought about it, the more I went, what the fuck? <laughs> and I think that it started to, the more I thought about it a little bit, the, the further that I got from it started to harm my opinion on the movie. Um, I think the performances are great. I think it has some legitimately creepy, scary, um, 
concepts and scenes and things like that thrown into it. Um, but ultimately, I, I think that I understand why a lot of people don't like it, and I'm a little bit kind of middle of the road on it. Um, Nick, what did you think? Uh, I like this movie a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like the... Um... This movie is so much just like a Twilight Zone episode, both in like concept and execution to me. It is just like a really like concise to me concise uh, sci-fi thriller about these people who end up on a beach that makes you old. Um, and I think it's just fun to see them play around with that. You know, I, I like the the ideas they come up with of what all that would entail if everything was rapidly aging or just people just biologically, if things are rapidly aging at this location, um, I think they have fun with it. I think the thrills are good. I think the camera work is really fun and how it does like reveals um, for older people like that. It made me, I, I like where it ends up at the end of like, if you had, if you were in this situation, if you rapidly, cause it's not just physically that you age, it's also supposed to be kind of mentally and emotionally right <clears throat> so it's kind of like if your whole life was condensed into like a few hours or a day or or whatever what would be what would be most important to you you know kind of deal what would you be thinking of who would you want to be with blah 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 um i think it has some really good like poignant stuff in there um i don't like the ending in the sense that i wish that things hadn't been explained because he, once he gets into like the actual, like, here's like why the beach makes you old, you know, here's like the whole thing behind of like how this works and why, why it's happening. I would have preferred no explanation, oddly enough, um, because I, I think the explanation they go with then leads into like a weird, like moral, <laughs> like a weird, like moral thing um, that just, you know, is it adds a, a layer of uh, moral. Uh, what am I wanted wanted to say here? I'll just say moral ten more times. Um, <laughs> it's a whole new layer of uh, of shit that I feel is just unnecessary by by the end of the movie. I um, mean, I feel like it takes away from the more, I guess, uh, like allegorical, metaphorical concepts that I've been dealing with that whole time. Um, I a lot of people hate like you know like the dialogue. <laughs> and everything that's in the just way. M. Night. And the way that characters speak. Again, yeah, first off, that's just M. Night. Second off, that's fun. I don't care. <laughs> I do because it's it's funny because I'll get into this movie I watched uh last night called The Night House. Um and that irked me because the dialogue in that movie is very unnatural and is very feels like a script, you know, which is distracting to me because the rest of the movie isn't like that. So but M Night especially with this kind of concept where I said, where it's like a really Twilight Zone-esque thing. I, I think that kind of unnatural dialogue kind of works for it. <laughs> Dear, what did you think? I like the middle. <laughs> I like the middle part. I like the part you where like they're aging. The, the <laughs> beach part is the best part of the movie. The setup <laughs> is terrible. The, the whole, like, resort stuff where people are constantly talking about time. It couldn't, like, I know what the movie is about. 
I've seen the trailer and the whole like first third of the movie was like time and the past and the future and the present and how I feel about it and the time and the past. And I was like, oh my fucking God, nobody talks like this. It drove me up a wall. Like I hated it. And then we got to the beach and I was like, oh, oh, I like this bit. Oh, this is nice. And then we got to the end and I was like, how dare any of these people do these things? I was like, this is, you're literally tricking people to go to this island for research. And then it just brought up a whole bunch of other things that I didn't like about the fact that they were only, they had like brought all of these people here because they had illnesses. Spoiler alert, random aside, essentially what ends up getting revealed is that the beach has this weird property where people age. And so a pharmaceutical company now uses the beach to test people for medications to try and cure certain ailments. Cool. So I didn't like the fact that they like, you don't know, you have people with fucking kids here. You could have had like people who were already terminal come and like, you know, basically like volunteer their time at this island to be like, you know, I'm going to die in, in X amount of time anyway. I might as well try out this experimental drug and see if it works. You know, I'm, I'm already gonna go. Whereas like they brought these people here with like families, like they had kids. You have no idea what those kids are gonna have. And you're not treating any of the, of the non-specific people you're only treating the people that you chose no yeah and it just like made me mad because you're like oh this six-year-old who knows what this six-year-old is gonna have in its lifetime and you're just like no but like the mom has maybe a tumor so like we're gonna we're gonna test it out on her though and like forget everybody else forget the fact that like once they get to old age you know they they have other things that are wrong with them you could have been constantly like if you were going to do research, if you were literally going to do research, like, that's fine. I'm totally okay with that. You did sloppy fucking research. You, you should have tested everybody. Everybody the whole time should have been constantly, what was in the food? Nothing? It was just food, you say? It was just ridiculous. No, I liked the stuff on the beach. I thought that that was more interesting. And then they were like, oh, spoiler alert. It's this coral that we've never seen the entire movie, even though we've been on one location the entire time. That thing that's been sitting in the middle of the ocean never, until we needed it, was the, was the whole thing that got us out of this thing. What? Sorry. No, I liked the middle of this movie. No, yeah, I think that the character study of it as these people like trying desperately to get off of this beach to to go off and do all the things that they wanted to do and then eventually like settling into the fact that this is the reality and like finding some some peace within that. You know, it is the the stages of denial all throughout the entire movie and that's why they waste so much time, you know, <laughs> throughout the entire thing and I guess ignore the very obvious that's the answer answer is the fact that they're in, in denial the entire time and are infighting. But that's interesting. And then they were like, mm, it's because of science. You, how dare you make science well, the bad guy in the middle of a pandemic? I also think that the other thing that kind of weakens the ending is that then the ending calls into question, calls into question slash weakens the, the setup and the lead up the part that we do have in the hotel 
you know, this time that we could have explored some character dynamics and we get a little bit of that. The ending then goes back and makes you question, like, when were they getting doped? When were they picked? How were they picked? And, you know, it was before all of that, but, like, I think that it retroactively harms the first few minutes of the movie, but then on top of that, one of the big issues that I have with the reveal at the end, and this is maybe me being a little bit too uh, nitpicky, is that mid-sized sedan has a nosebleed the whole time. But he also is able to get stabbed to death. And we find out that he's a hemophiliac, but that whatever medication that they have been giving him isn't working. But he also gets cut along the cheek, and that heals. So for me, one of the big questions that I have of the ending in relation to then when you go back and re-examine the entire plot is how do certain things that you use to try and convey certain ideas or certain plots then function? Because if he is a hemophiliac and one of his conditions is that he has a nosebleed the whole time and is also then able to be stabbed to death, whereas other people get cut, stabbed, other things happen to them and they survive, how are certain people able to die then? Because it seems like you're able to heal certain things. And how is his nosebleed well, all of the other happening? I think that I understand your point of it being him because of his condition, but I think that he gets stabbed to death because if you cut something vital, like that's the end. Whereas like, I think that all of the other cuts that that dude does on the father are all superficial. And perhaps, and so like what heals over time. Well, the, I, again, I understand that him being slashed on the cheek and being the, the visual representation of time changing, it was a bad choice. Mm. I do understand that. But I also understand him also succumbing to the wounds of being literally stabbed through vital organs to death. No, I get yeah. that. Yeah. But I, I think that the ending to your point is just probably the weakest point for me. But I also just hated <laughs> that entire character because of the fact that he was just the, the, the stereotype of a black man the entire time. He had no plot, pretty much. He had all of the, mm, I bet they're glad that they, you know, black don't crack jokes. And like the fact that like the one dude literally perpetually is like, this guy is gonna like rape and murder my family the entire well, that's, time. That's that and, like, character's can, point though. Yeah, that he's that racist? Yes, that, that, that character is that's a racist. great, but like, it could have been, you know, it was just like substituting from the original. I guess my issue is the fact no, that no, they were no, like, oh, to. we can't have it be the Arabs. So now we're just going to have it be this black guy getting falsely accused because that's what, that's, and have no character arc other than the fact that he is just yeah, a black I, guy. I, I think they make the mistake of they, he's like one of the first to die, then that, you know, that, that is it for him. It, it is half the time, like, yeah, and he, would have been one of the more interesting characters because he's there before anybody else's. He's there. Yeah, but he like does like nothing already before anybody else's. Um, and he's one of the more like sure like one of the more mysterious characters. First, yes, but then yeah, he dies before he's able to really do anything. So it's so, like okay. Going going back to one of the things that I said initially, which is that this is kind of like Ready Player One, where like the text that you're adapting has problems. So you try yes. to fix them, but you create new problems. Um, in the original text, you've got two children of each family. Um, 
Felix ends up having a child with Sophie. Um, Lewis is just kind of there. Zoe, you know, who is again one of the one of the teenage people, one of the the child figures of this, ends up then having a sexual relationship with Amasan. And in the graphic novel, they essentially call to the fact, uh, it's like in one blurb and one panel, that the teenagers and the children aren't necessarily aging with their body. They're kind of stalled wherever they were developmentally as they grow older. And so I think that, I think that even though the text had a lot of really interesting concepts, this is one of those instances where the adaptation, because it still tried to maintain certain elements of it and not just go, well, what if I just told a, a totally different story with the same sort of underlying premise? Mm. I think that it ends up creating a lot of other snags and snafus that make it in some ways almost just as, as much of an issue as some of the issues that existed on the original page. Because apparently there's a, a, and I haven't read it completely, I looked into it and, and that sort of thing, but there are apparently like multiple instances of these children characters having sex throughout the entire graphic novel. And on a certain level that almost feels based on what I, sort of what I've looked at, is that they were much more of our perspective characters throughout the whole thing. Um, Instead of it being from a parent's perspective? Yes. And so I think that we ran sort of headlong into this text had problems. Let's fix them. Oops. We didn't yeah. really fix them. We created some different problems as we tried to fix them. I think that this movie could have done the, the um, what's that movie, The Shallows approach, where it's like, we just start at the beach and then unravel all of these things after the fact. I don't think that I needed literally any of the time at the hotel at all. No, I get that. Because it was just a lot of like, oh, we're setting up for the thing that you actually came here to watch instead of me wanting to care about any of these characters or any of their problems. It was just kind of like, let's be really vague about a, a lot of stuff. And then, hey, look, the black chick has um, epilepsy and let's have a whole moment with that. And then let's be, again, really vague about everybody else's condition until everybody has a confession moment on the beach because we're all gonna die here anyway. So I might as well be like, I wish I had had been with that ugly guy instead of choosing this life that I chose. Man, being pretty is hard and I made the wrong choices. We just didn't look good together and then I'm gonna die like a creepy old witch in a cave. No, that's fair. Yes. It got, it got two in its own ass. And I think that I could have had a little bit more nuance and a little bit more, you know, mystery to the whole what is it instead of it just being like and put a nice little bow on it mm. nick what would you give it out of five uh I'd give it four again i like this i watched it a long time ago though okay uh, i watched uh i don't know i interviewed alex wolf for this movie um back oh. when i whenever that was okay um, yeah no i like it i get uh four nice Ending sucked. 
stuff could be better. But as like I said, as far as what it wanted to do, the you know the bigger ideas, not the plot ideas, but like the uh, storytelling ideas that it wants to share. I think it gets it across and. Yeah. Real like the, the near the ending when it's just like the two kids are left, you know, and mom and dad are are, are finally gone. Um, and it's just them out there. I was like, yeah, it was good stuff. <laughs> I get it. Um, dear, what are you giving? Uh, I don't. I don't know if for me the good moments outweigh all of the like really sloppy setups to the good stuff. You know, if you didn't want to take the time to actually, like, set it up well, it's like being like, oh, I had to read, you know, half of a book in order for to get to the last half of the book, you know, in order for it to be good. Like, um, it's like getting through the paint chapter of Invisible Man. You either do or you don't. And it doesn't matter what happens after that for me. If you can't get through the shit, it doesn't work. I'm going to give this movie a two. Okay. Um, I'm going to go for a three, I think. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go for a three. Um, our next movie also features Alex Wolf. It does. Uh, and this is, this is a really interesting little thriller starring the one, the only, the enigmatic, the goth, thespian Nicolas Cage what <laughs> and uh, we've got ourselves a clip that largely consists of pig grunting perfect so take a listen So that was Pig. The premise is a truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregon wilderness. Oh, we're bookended by Oregon. Uh, must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. Uh, written and directed by Michael Sarnosky, starring Nicolas Cage, Alex Wolf, and Adam Arkin. Um, we started with Nick. Let's, let's finish with Nick taking things away. Nick, what did you think of Pig? Let me tell you right now, Pig was my favorite movie of last year. It was when it first, when I first watched it, like over the summer or whenever it came out. Um, never changed. Didn't see anything that beat it. Five out of five. Perfect. No further elaboration. Uh, just watch it. Like, just go watch it right now if you haven't watched it. I don't care. Like, I found it to be a perfect movie that just constantly surprised me. I had no idea where it was going ever, and I loved everywhere that it went. Yeah. Uh, just a tremendous shit to me. I found it to be very moving, very engaging. Just, I, I'm all about it. It's not at all what you think it is, and then it continues to not be what you think it's going to be. Fantastic. Go watch it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Stop right. listening. 
watch watch pig. Yeah, turn this off. Turn this off right now. Oh, I loved this movie. I thought that it was it's a Nick's point. I didn't know where this movie was going. It it has this like nice little like almost vignette kind of storytelling where it's like, you know, you start in one place and you just keep going to to different locations and having just a completely different kind of story happen while this man is searching for his lost pig. And it's it's weirdly like centered completely and utterly around food from beginning to end. Like I loved the 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 chapter headings all being food. I just I I think that this is probably one of my favorite Nick Cage performances in a very long time where you actually get to see him. Like I love him in Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is like the noir Spider-Man. Um, but like, you don't get to see him in that. You just, you know, get to, get to hear his, get to hear his Nick Cage isms through, <laughs> through a, a, a character who doesn't move his face. Um, but I just, uh, this, this movie has a lot of heart to it in, in the weirdest ways that are very like endearing and yeah, no, I, <laughs> I can't say enough good things about it. Um, I think that that is all fair. Um, I really, really liked this movie. It is, it is branded as a thriller, um, which I think almost kind of branding it as a thriller is as much of a disservice as, as labeling Lamb a horror film on a certain level. It is so much more than, than that label. Um... This movie, and also I've seen a lot of people compare it to John Wick, and I think that that is also just a an appalling disservice to this movie. <laughs> it's a man searching for a, a pet. Because that's, that's even it. though it has some of that same element of this weird underbelly and this man that knows how to navigate it and these kind of strange other world criminal locations, it has some of that. And so, like, on that level, it is a little bit like John Wick, but also, on a certain level, it's kind of almost like Chef, right? It's about this man on this quest of rediscovery and his connection to food and how food connects us to other people. But it's so much more melancholic and so much more thoughtful than any of those films and I agree with Lauren. I think this is a tremendous Nick Cage performance. I know that a lot of people love it when Nick Cage goes enormous and big and splashy with his performances. But this is such a well-restrained Nick Cage performance that the stillness of his character becomes eerie at times. Um, and it's 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 about... It's about connections. It's about loss. It's about permanence. Uh, you know, sort of almost literally in the sense of, of Buddhism and those sorts of meditations on, on permanence and how trying to hold on to things that are impermanent is, is almost futile on a certain level. And it's about carving out your identity and figuring out who you are. And his character... 
even though some people find him sometimes off-putting or uncomfortable, is comfortable with who he is. Well, he's very unapologetically, and he's very someone that has finally, mm, I guess, like, come to come to be themselves fully unapologetically like you know is you know it's just no bullshit there's no facade there's no fake there's no small talk you know there's just there's just like uh what, what do you call it genuineness mm-hmm. <laughs> and and almost like with lamb ultimately at the end of the movie he comes to term with his loss. Mm. You know, if there's one thing that he hasn't finally figured out yet, it's how he feels about the loss of his wife. Mm. And finally, at the end of the movie, he has figured out through this journey to find his pig that he is comfortable with that loss. And also that's the same journey that our younger hero, Alex Wolf, kind of has to go on. And that's the journey that they also finally sort of force Alex Wolf's father into, right? They're all people who are grieving. Yeah. It's also like an interesting tale of, um, like once you've reached the top of whatever your, your goal was, whatever your dream thing is, and it's not everything that you hoped and, and wished for it to be, you know, what do you do next kind mm. of tale, where it's like, he's super content just living in his little, like, shack with his pig, going hunting for, for truffles and, like, living his little minimal lifestyle after having it all, having mm. everything that he could have ever hoped for and it not fulfilling that that internal desire, that, that drive that, that pushed him so hard to get to those points. And, you know, that's a very relatable story and a, a very relatable journey as, as humans, you know. What, what, what do you do after you have it all, you know? Well, and being at the top doesn't save you from the reality of what it is to be alive good and bad Mm -hmm. it reminds me a lot of um i believe it was jim carrey that it was like at the height of his fame Mm. and was like nah i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna pare down i'm gonna i'm gonna do the things that i want to do here and there but like i'm not gonna go as hard or as as you know as i did to get here because once I got here it I didn't like it I didn't like the people that I was around I didn't like the person that I became I don't want any of it I'd rather just have something something smaller something simpler you know because that feels more who I am instead of just going towards this the, the somebody else's idea of who I'm supposed to be you know which I think is really in in the the part of the movie where he like meets his his former like sous chef who's now you know top dog in town and he's he literally like tears him down a little bit he's like this isn't anything like the dream that you said you wanted but you're doing it for all of these people 
all of the people who don't even know your name and don't care because they just come here because it's a five star rated place. You know, why? why are you, yeah, why are you <laughs> That's doing the defining this? scene of the whole thing. I think that this movie is really lovely, especially for like the here and now because of us being such a such a digital world, you know, with Instagram and, and having an Instagrammable lifestyle and having the perfect of everything and realizing that like those goals aren't, you know, attainable and like truly self-evaluating and like wanting to know what you what you want and what you want out of your life. And like all that Cage wants is to live in his little his little shack with his pig. And we he's all. willing to tear down the fucking city for it. And I love it. Well, and, you know, part one, e each each of the three parts ultimately sums up or is titled based off of the meal that is the most important exchange between characters. And so in part one, it's called Rustic Mushroom Tart, which is the meal that he makes that he shares with his pig using the truffle that the pig found. And then part two are two important meals that he has. Mom's French toast, which is the moment where he connects with Alex Wolf's character. And then, to your point, deconstructed scallop, which is the moment that he reconnects with his former chef and, and sort of lays bare the reality of life of being an artist on a certain level and on just really being a person you know if you don't present yourself who the fuck cares about you and then you finally get to the last mm -hmm. yeah you're doing it for for likes you're doing it for for other people and you're stretching yourself so thin in order to get to that point for what? You're not getting any anything for yourself out of that. Mm -hmm. And then part three is a bird, a bottle, and a, and a salted baguette. And, you know, there there's lots to deconstruct with that whole meal that they share. But one of the things that's the most important about that is he and ultimately his his final antagonist break bread. You know, which is this kind of, you know, universal, uh, in the English language, idiom of sharing a meal, of, of putting things to rest, right? You break bread, you sit down, and you have this meal together to create an understanding, to come to a place together. And it's so important that, you know, the, the final moment of it includes and ends on this idea of you know the salted baguette this piece of bread and they finally sit down and they break bread and all three of our characters come to an understanding over this meal um and so it's such a thoughtful meditative movie and i was it's i didn't know it's astounding that this is the first film of this writer director i mean yeah. like <laughs> that this, is their, that this is their debut film that's insane yeah no yeah and also like i love the fact that we get to see different windows into how this character not only interacts with others but how he has impacted those those people's lives you know from him just having this casual conversation with a child about persimmons to 
his his former you know another former sous chef who um who's become a baker and she literally like hugs him but that's like not the interaction that he has with the other guy who who he basically like tears a new asshole he literally looks at her and says do you still make it the same way that you used to whereas with him he questions is this how you used to want to make food Mm -hmm. and it's just really interesting because like you can see that she still holds him in such high regard and still respects him and and you know his his impact on her life whereas this guy is just smizing to to save face while he's in the front of his restaurant trying to trying to butter him up with wine and and a and a crappy fancy looking meal in order to 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 get on this man's good side to to be deemed worthy in this in this god figure's eyes whereas she's just like you know, just happy to see him. Yeah. Like, genuinely. Yeah. Uh, so we know that Nick gives it a five. Dear, what do you give? Oh, no. Yeah. Pig, five out of five. If, if not for the movie, but for that, for that pig, man. <laughs> five <laughs> out of perfect. Randy the pig. Beautiful perfect pig. Mm, mm, I want that pig. <laughs> um, honestly, I, I think that I'll go five as well. I think that this is... It's rare that you get something that's that's so thoughtful, that's so crafted, that's so particular. Um, and I, I really think that this was excellent from head to toe. Um, so I guess we'll go ahead and try and wrap up this episode as, as, as succinctly as we can. Um, Nick, what have you been watching lately? Uh, well, I finished watching all of, um, uh, Mamoru Hosoda's, Hosoda? Hosoda? I don't know how to say his name the right way. Hopefully that was okay. Um, all of his films. Um, I don't know if I talked about this last time or maybe just to you. Um, you and I texted about it. Okay. Yeah. I watched, uh, well, he, he did for you listeners. He did the Digimon movie. He did two Digimon movies. They're just combined into the Digimon movie in the I American think he also did the cartoon as well. Mm. I mean Digimon's are the sure. champions. I'm sure he was he was the the OG Digimon movie, the original Digimon Adventure. Um uh which is the personally the Digimon movie was very formative for me. <laughs> that movie whips ass to this day. Um anyway so I watched all of his stuff. I watched uh The Girl Who Leapt Through Time really really good. Uh, it's like a teen romance drama with time travel thrown in. Really good stuff. Uh, Summer Wars is very similar to Digimon movie. I like it less. Um, Summer Wars is probably my least favorite by him. A lot of people like that movie. I, I don't dig it as much. Uh, Wolf Children, fantastic. Can't watch that. It's about raising kids. Can't deal with it. <laughs> It is, it's, it's all too true once you actually have a kid. Can't, everything is recontextualized as far as like movies and stories and all that. Um, both children, fantastic. Boy and the Beast, pretty good. Like Boy and the Beast a lot. It's a kid who was raised by a, a bear and a monkey and a pig. And he has to, he's raised and fights the telekinetic son of a boar. Of a lion boar thing. It's a lot of fun. Good stuff. <laughs> uh, I watched Meet Eye. 
which was nominated for, I think, Best Animated at the Academy Awards the year it came out. Um, Mirai was really good. Liked it, definitely. Um, then I, his newest one that I his newest one just came out. It's called Bell. It's supposed to be like a modern adaptation or a modern reimagining of Beauty and the Beast. Um, it is that, but that's only like the middle section of the movie, which I liked. Then it just it, it's like it's like a setup into it, and then it's like the Beauty and the Beast story, and then it's like if Beauty and the Beast ended completely differently. And then kept going for like another 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> uh, takes place mostly like a, a virtual, like online world. That everybody, that's like every, I don't know. It's it, it, he, His work is just so imaginative. There's nothing like it. Um, it's gorgeous. The animation is insane. The art is insane. Um, I really like Bell. Bell ends up being probably, I think it's my favorite out of all of the movies that he's made. Um, Killer should be nominated just like Mirai was, but we'll see. Um, watched all the Scream movies, including the new one. I like the new one um, a good bit. I watched The Last Thing Mary Saw. That's on Shudder. Um, I was let down by that one. I think it's too obvious and too slow. A um, little bit scary. Um, and then I watched, other than that, I watched The Night House last night that I mentioned earlier. That's with uh, Rebecca Hall. It is a horror movie. And I give that a three. I like good parts of it. I think it trips over itself once again in trying to be both like a literal, like literal supernatural, but also it's a metaphor. And the two don't end up meshing as well as they could. The implications of the literal supernatural part of it are are, are too much. <laughs> like it's it's like it, 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 it muddles the metaphor. Okay. Uh, Rebecca Hall is excellent in it, though, as she always is. No, yeah. Um, yes, been watching. Besides the, these things, you've seen quite a bit. Um, on our end. Uh, we pretty much watched all of these this week, and since it was uh, Lauren's first week at a brand new job, um, that was that was largely what we stuck to was was just this stuff. Beyond that, we have watched um, Peacemaker, um, which I think I maybe mentioned last week, and and I'm still very much enjoying it. Um, we also have been watching Jeopardy. Uh, I'm devastated that Amy Schneider uh, was dethroned last night it really it struck me deep i was i was really hoping that she would go the distance um but 40 games for the second longest streak ever and the longest streak of any woman is still uh impeccable oh yeah and i was i was glued to my seat the whole time it's always nice to like watch somebody do something that they're like really really good at and you just go how do you do this and it was just great (laughs) I'm about to start. Oh, sorry. Keep going. We've been watching Midnight Mass. Oh. We've got like two episodes left of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very inspired by Salem's Lot. Very openly inspired by Salem's Lot, I would say. I gave that shit a perfect score, too. I got very little to complain about with that series. Uh, um, great. Twists and turns all the time. 
surprising all the time, incredible character beats, um, really great character work. Um, and the we just finished episode five a few days ago, and like all I could do was cry. Oh, buddy, <laughs> just wait, just wait till that thing ends, man. It's, <laughs> it's one of those shows where like and the last two episodes are. <sighs> it's one of those things where like I can't wait to watch another episode. Like there are some shows where I'm like, I mean, if there's nothing else to do, let's slap this on. Why not? Where I'm like. Do you do you want to watch it? Can we watch it? Can we please? You know, I just, like I gotta. I, I watched like the first four episodes in like one night. <laughs> I think. No, uh, so rare to find like a TV show that like really just like the whole, the whole thing is just like just Chef's Kiss. He's good. Yeah. Well, this is the thing also that Mike Flanagan has been trying to make forever. This has been like his. Sense. This, it's been like his real like big passion project that he wanted to get made forever. They didn't get the leverage to until obviously like the both haunting of uh series. series. Yeah. Um, um yes, yes. <laughs> what was the other thing that you were gonna say you've been watching? Uh no, I'm going to I start watching the Jackass movies now. Okay. <laughs> I I see the new one uh Tuesday night. Okay. So I will be re. I think I have seen all of them in their entirety. I'm pretty sure um, I have. You, you got to watch I, I, the I Shark Week it. episode. <laughs> I no, I have not watched the show. Okay. I've I've never watched the show. I I don't know. I'm sure I've seen clips or whatever the hell. But I I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen all the movies all the way through. I have not seen Bad Grandpa. If I have time, I'll watch Bad Grandpa. But I don't know. If you don't have time, just watch the, the one episode that they did for Shark Week. Just do it. <laughs> it Jackass Shark Week? or Okay. That's where we're streaming. We're like Discover... Discovery Plus. I think. Yeah. Um, it's a hell of a thing. Oh, yeah. And you meet some of the they make... cast members in Jackass Forever in... Oh, this was a new thing. This was a recent thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. This was like this yeah. past Shark Week? Yeah. I'd never heard of this. I had no idea that Jackass did a Shark Week. Oh, yeah. Week. They made um, Shark Week Spassy. history. We won't tell you what happens. Oh, you just got to watch it. <laughs> You'll right. know. You'll know the moment it happens. What Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Have you seen all the Jackass movies? Have you seen no. this? <laughs> Have you heard of this? I am familiar with Jackass. I have seen some of them. I know that, like, the first movie or two are directed by Spike Jones, if I'm not mistaken. Which is fucking wild to me that the man that made her... Started out doing music videos and Jackass movies, but... You gotta you know, start somewhere, man. You, you, gotta, you gotta trudge along until you get to make your art. <laughs> I'm like a, I'm like a, like a scummy, like heterosexual male enough to enjoy Jackass, to, to meet Jackass on its terms <laughs> and enjoy it. But again, I have not revisited these in years to the point where, like I said, I'm not positive if I've watched all of them, but I, at least definitely, I think I definitely watched either two or three is stuck in my mind. There's a stunt. I don't like the gross ones. <laughs> I'm not good at that shit. 
the the stuff where they're getting hurt and everything, you know, that's a, that's the ball. The ones where they're just being gross are 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 nasty. There's one that really stuck in me where they have like the big guy that's in the group. Um, it just you know, it's like the biggest guy in the group. They have him run on a treadmill and he's wearing like this special suit that catches his sweat. And then, oh, every, no. uh, and then everybody's got to drink the sweat. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really awful. And so there's this very large naked man running and sweating from every orifice and crevice. And then, you know, goes into a tube and they drink it. It's, it's awful. I wasn't allowed to watch any of these. I yeah, I've now learned stuff this. like that. There's there's a lot of vomit. There's a lot of like literal shit and piss. <laughs> That's what's so I guess is so like oh my god because with Jackass like it's real. <laughs> it's not. There's not a lot of movie magic. That's just really insane people doing insane things. So so I'm gonna well, I'm gonna watch them again. I'll let you. Know. Well, you know what I, I rewatch of the Jackass series and ending it with the new one and final one. Yeah. Hopefully, um, the they literally said, "Literally, Johnny Knoxville literally said, like, I can't, not possible." This no, like, I know that he's out, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out if it makes <laughs> enough money, them continuing on without. No, with with uh, they'll get other people. I'm sure if they ever want to keep it going, they'll get. Other I mean, they people. already have a guy called Poopies, so. There's a guy called Poopy. Yeah, one of the yeah. new one of the new cast members is called Poopies. That's that's his that's his <laughs> jackass name. Good old does Poopies. He, does he does he take shits? Is that his thing? I don't know, man. All I know yeah, they already is... have people in Jackass who do poop stuff. Well, well now we don't. Well, now we have the official poop mascot. Thank God. The only other thing that we've watched lately is uh, the movie Encanto. Um, I like it a lot. I don't know if it had to be a musical. Um, it, it is, okay. If we look at the 3D Disney movies, I think Moana is the one that is like the most successfully collected together as a musical. It has reprises, you know, like it has key themes and things like that. This, I think... Because Frozen, like, the last part of Frozen falls into that Disney trap of after the troll song, we don't have a fucking song again. Right, yeah, that's the last song. (laughs) And so this has music that goes all the way throughout it, or songs that go all the way throughout it, but it doesn't feel quite as collectively a musical. The songs come out of nowhere. On occasion, Yeah. yeah. They just go... We haven't had a song in a while, and we haven't had this person sing. They should have a song right now. And so That's I just Lynn Manuel Miranda. <laughs> I think it could have done a better job of of either layering in the music or just completely suck it out and just let the story speak on its terms. Yeah. And I also think that um, the movie doesn't necessarily have a villain. But I think that, like, some of the emotional, two of the emotional payoffs at the end could have been set up better in the first half so that they hit a little bit harder thematically in the, in the, in the final moments of the movie. Yeah. 
but for the most part, I really like it. Like I gave it, I think, a three or a three and a half on um, on Letterboxd. Um, and so for the most part, I really liked it. Like I think that I I prefer it to like Wreck It Ralph two for absolute certainty. Um, but I don't think that it's like yes, bad. I prefer <laughs> stabbing myself in the fucking stomach than Wreck It Ralph two. Fuck that movie. God damn it. <laughs> But fucking hate, like, I, I, hate that. I hate that movie. hate that movie. Um, I saw, like, the last half of Luca, and ultimately, like, I prefer Encanto. Oh, the last half of Luca? Yeah. What happened to the first half? Uh, I just caught it late. I bastard. I like Luca a lot. <laughs> well, I'll give it another chance. <laughs> um, I think that's pretty much all that we have. When did you watch Luca? We watched the last half of it at your parents' house because the the girls were watching it. Don't ever, don't ever say that you've watched a movie if you've watched it passively with children. That's not really watching a movie. The second half of a movie (laughs) passively with children. Yes, that's that's not. That's why I never write down um, those movies. Is it's it's not us watching a movie. It's it's us explaining a movie to children who talk the entire time. It's not watching a movie. Dear, do you have anything that you would like to, to say to listeners before we, we add off? What movies did you like? Email us, comment, yeah. subscribe, do a thing. I'm giving you homework, guys. They don't, they don't like any movies. No, that's why they're listening to us complain. They don't like it. They don't like a single movie. <laughs> Except for maybe Free Guy. And Except for Free Guy. <laughs> tell me to my face if you like it, because like... I'll give you I'll give you a whole list of reasons why that movie is horrible. Um Nick, do you have anything that you would like to say to the listeners? Um go see Moonfall. <laughs> go see Moonfall to see people stop the moon. Moonfall. Gotta stop before it kills us all. Um is that, okay. the, is that the new Marvel thing? No, that's the new um, Roland Emmerich disaster flick with Halle Berry. We Moon Knight. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, Moon Knight. Where Oscar Isaac gave us the, <laughs> the literal thing that Paul and I have talked about where he said he did it for his kid. Yeah. <laughs> that's because- how you know the heart was really in it. It was when you just did it death. for children. I did, I, did, I did it for my kid. Also, my general opinion is that he got that British accent off of watching a lot of uh, Mary Poppins, Dick Van Dyke. Oh, hello, governor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, I agree with Lauren. Um, go and email us, you know, what you, what you liked from 2021, what you didn't like from 2021, what you would like to see in 2022. Ask us questions. You know, we haven't had a question in a while. Um... I don't know if that's because I seem intimidating and like I'll be a jackass based on your question, but I would love a question from some user. Any kind of question will do. Email us at the podcast at gmail.com. Um, go to the website and actually definitely go and sign up to our newsletter because in February I'm going to share with y'all at the end of uh, at the end of January or at the start of January, our newsletter included the first several paragraphs of an essay I've been working on on Halloween Kills, um, 
And our February newsletter is going to include the first chapter of my novella, Doom in a Darker Sky, um, which I referenced on the show um, like a year ago, almost, with with Henry. Um, So go and subscribe to our newsletter. I'll link that below. Um, Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, etc. Um, And that's pretty much all that we have for y'all. I, of course, will also link where you can read Nick's stuff, Knotfest, Discussing Film, his personal website. Uh, And that's pretty much all that we have for you guys. Happy January. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed the movies that we missed in 2021. And get ready for next month where we prime y'all for award season by doing an entire month of essentially historical films that won Best Picture. Uh, So be sure to drop in with us next month. Thanks, you guys, for listening. Have a good weekend. Bye. Bye. Yeah.